Welcome to The Week Ahead in Russia, a Radio Free Europe podcast on developments in Russia, its war against Ukraine, and its relations with the rest of the world. I'm Steve Gutterman, and I have two guests on the program today. Both of them played crucial roles in an RFERL investigation that has revealed remarkable information about how Russia is luring recruits to fight in its unprovoked invasion of Ukraine, which began 20 months ago today, uh, on February 24th, 2022. Uh, both of my guests are joining me today from Kiev. Uh, they are Valeria Yegoshina, a journalist with Schemes, the investigative unit of RFERL's Ukrainian service, and Elizaveta Sernachova, a journalist with Sistema, which is RFERL's Russian investigative unit. Valeria and Elizaveta, thanks uh, so much for joining me today. Hi, thanks for hosting us. Hi, nice to meet you. All right, great to talk to you. Now, before we get started, I'll just mention that uh, you can subscribe to The Week Ahead in Russia and other Radio Free Europe podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, a lot of um, really thorough reporting went into this investigation by Schemes and Sistema, uh, but I want to lay out what I'd say is the main finding. Russia is using a fake private military company, or PMC, to recruit and deploy soldiers uh, for its war against Ukraine. Uh, it's called Redout, which is Russian for redoubt, like a fortress. Uh, now, this this name is not new. It's it's cropped up, I guess, uh, you know, a few times since the full scale invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. Uh, but it is widely described, uh, both in the media and and by officials who who have who have talked about it, not very much, but widely described as a mercenary company like Wagner. Uh, and in fact, has been touted as a possible replacement for Wagner uh, following th that group's short-lived mutiny in June against the Russian military uh, leadership and the death of its leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, and other senior figures from Wagner in a suspicious plane crash two months later in August. But what this investigation found is that in reality, Redoute is a recruitment system that is coordinated and funded by the Russian military, and in particular, the military intelligence agency. So essentially, it is a front for the Russian defense ministry and the intelligence agency known as the GRU. Uh, Valeria Elizaveta, is that an accurate summary? And would you like to mention anything about the findings before we dig into some of the details and discuss uh, how the reporting was done? If to say about general findings from our investigations, yes, you are accurate. This is, in brief, the story about the secret Russian recruiting system to war works. But in fact, this war is, uh, the story is much, much deeper. Thanks to our findings, videos, documents, messages, interviews, we can literally dive and dig into the world of Russian mercenaries. What do they think? How and why they go for the war? There are so many layers of questions about these people. Why do they go for war? Uh, are they propaganda-minded or are they just serial killers who they actually are? 
And why there are so many so-called Russian mercenaries in this invasion? Why Russia, which has a lot of soldiers, still needs some shade or secret army troops? What do they actually do? And it's really a sort of a little encyclopedia of Russian state mercenaries' life and death. And I just want to point out that uh, this is really like not large, but huge investigation where almost all known journalistic techniques and methods have been applied. And this is the reason why we invited colleagues from Sistema to join this project, uh, because the volume of information that had to be studied and done was like very, very enormous. And you recounted the main point correctly, but I want to share my personal pain because there were dozens of findings in this investigation, if not hundreds, I don't know. And uh, for me, as uh, one of the authors, uh, it's a little bit hurt that some one of them will never come to the light uh, because uh, we've already realized a uh, released a film about Redut and soon we will release a big multimedia project uh, there would be a long read where more information uh, would be and uh, both of these forms are not limitless absolutely thanks very much uh, both of you um uh, you mentioned um, kind of the scope, the the scale, the breadth and depth of, of the investigation. Um, and, and as you as you said, I guess you know my 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 summary is is somewhat simplistic. Uh, you know, uh, one of you mentioned encyclopedia of of um, Russian mercenary groups, and it really is uh, you know uh, uh, a, a far reaching. Uh, investigation. Uh, I'd like to delve into some of the details and talk about the reporting. Um, now, the the investigation uh, by by schemes and sistema uh, and its findings are based on a wide array of sources and evidence um, compiled by both of these of these units um, uh, working, you know, with, with with Ukraine and with Russia. Um, Sources in both of those countries uh, and elsewhere, um, and the, and the, the evidence includes um, a lot of things, but uh, including battlefield records from a Redut unit, um, I believe it's called the Wolves, uh, interviews with Redut fighters and their relatives, conversations with recruiters, and a lot more. Uh, maybe each of you could speak a little bit about your ex your own experience um, in in this investigation. I understand that much of the re reporting in Ukraine was done by schemes, uh, which in Ukrainian is 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 known as schemi, uh, including speaking with Redut fighters who were captured on the battlefield and are now in Ukrainian custody. Uh, Valeria, uh, please tell us about the reporting that you and the schemes team did for this investigation, and maybe also mention how it came about uh, in the first place. Oh, yeah. Uh, so how it all began. Uh, my colleague, Kirik Tolstikova, and I, we went uh, immediately to some part of uh, liberated Kharkiv region uh, right after the Ukrainian counteroffensive, because we really convinced that uh, you have to be on the ground to have a good story. So it started in September 2022. 
uh, we went there, we interviewed people, looked around and under food, because uh, I think it's really important to notice that there is a huge amount of uh, Russian mines there. And if you, as an investigative journalist, want to dig for the story, you should be very accurate uh, with a mines problem. Uh, so we found there some documents, notebooks, and other physical evidence. We collected all this without uh, even knowing how it would be used. And uh, after it, as a result, we published a number, uh, like a series of investigations uh, based on our findings. Uh, for example, we identified who was buried in, uh, maybe I, I think everybody know about this mass grave in uh, Izum. Uh, we found who was responsible for it. Uh, we found also the FSB officers uh, who tortured people in, in Balaklia. And then probably in winter, uh, it comes to redute turn. Uh, so we thought uh, we have this uh, special phrase like uh, nothing's clear, but very interesting. Uh, so we start to try to figure out on what we had. And um, in, I think, January, uh, we had the opportunity to record some interviews with four mercenaries. And uh, we also we had a series of I don't know, maybe hundreds of very unclear and, uh, let's say, very dirty, literally dirty documents. Uh, so these documents, uh, they actually didn't mention Redut at all. So I went to the detention uh, center to talk to the mercenaries. And uh, I went there without knowing like anything about uh, them. Uh, probably it's not the best example of journalistic work uh, to come not being well prepared for the interview. But on the other hand, we started uh, with a, you know, clean mind. And I was sincerely as a person and as a journalist, uh, tried to understand what they are, what they are representing. So I spent there in the detention center like a lot of hours talking to the, these four mercenaries and their testimonies uh, were super different because someone said that he served in some battalion called Chibis, uh, someone that in a private military company, Redut, mm -hmm. someone that he signed a contract with the 16th Brigade of Russian uh, Intelligence Agency, or more known as GRU or GRU. Uh, sometimes uh, these things uh, were said by the same people. And at uh, this point, I believe we started the investigation because uh, it was very interesting for us. Uh, we thought, how did the GRU have a private military company? Next, we went through the documents uh, which were found at the base uh, where these detained soldiers were, uh, were captured. Uh, to be honest, from the very beginning, I thought it was some kind of a mistake uh, because they were talking about Redut, but on these hundreds of pages of various information, uh, there were like uh, payroll records, uh, their diaries, uh, combat reports. There were uh, was not a single word about Redut. 
so there were different mentions, like, uh, as I said, with Chibis Battalion, Wolf's Battalion, um, many mentions of GRU, uh, which become our one of our evidences uh, of this uh, link mm-hmm. between Redut and uh, GRU, but nothing about Redut. So... Uh, we tried to do some on-ground reporting uh, because uh, in these documents uh, we found some references to villages in the Kiev region uh, that they had occupied before, uh, before I mean before the, their appearance in Kharkiv region. So we went there to interview people. Many uh, maybe they heard something about Redut. And uh, it turned out that uh, local people, like survivors uh, of the occupation, they uh, remembered the occupiers well, but they haven't heard about Redut also. (laughs) And then we started looking for more and more information. For example, we took dozens of uh, billings or phone traffics uh, of um, some soldiers of uh, Wolf's battalion, uh, whom we identified from the documents. So we made, uh, we created, uh, like, reconstruct maybe a road of their uh, movement, starting from the February 24th. And we identified all other villages in the Kiev region, in the occupation of which Wolf's participated. Uh, looking ahead, the residents of these villages later identified the main commanders of the units uh, from our photos. Uh, we even found a family that had been personally kicked out from their house by one of the main fighters uh, to move in. So, um, my colleague uh, Olga Ivleva, uh, who is one of the authors of this investigation, she really travels to these villages a lot, a lot of time. Um, so we also returned to the Kharkiv region several times, uh, to the village where the wolves' base used to be, uh, where they left uh, all these dirty and clear documents. After the liberation, the front line has moved. Uh, in 15 kilometers from there, so we were able even to talk to one of their victims. And um, this man, he showed us uh, four meters uh, deep hole where they tortured him and uh, filmed their cells. And of course, uh, we followed the fate of the mercenaries who died, who transferred to other units, who continued to fight. And it was very important for us, speaking about reporting, to find to find out where they uh, are now. Uh, we used both open sources and sources in the Ukrainian army. And so uh, me and Kira, we found ourselves near Bakhmut in Donetsk region in the end uh, of this reporting part of the investigation. So we climbed through trenches, bunkers and tree plantings and found what we wanted. Several groups of uh, Ukrainian army were fighting right in front of the Redut units. Uh, one of the fighters even showed us the chevrons of uh, captured mercenaries from the veterans unit. Uh, they are also part of Redut, and uh, there was a portrait, big portrait of Putin on their uh, chevrons. Uh, 
So we were able also to film what's happening to the Redoute right now. Uh, we're in the suburbs of uh, Bakhmut and Ukrainian army, we found how Ukrainian army was working on their position. And I remember how like direct, directly from there, from some bunker uh, under the sound of explosions, I sent photos of this Putin chevrons to Lisa with the joy that we had found them in person, almost. Uh, thanks very much, Valeria. Um, that's that's amazing, really. The story of of the reporting taking you, um, you know, Kharkiv region and the area north of Kiev. Uh, where, of course, uh, some of the most, um, you know, some of the some of the uh, most chilling evidence of, of of war crime seems to have taken place, and then also um, you mentioned your how you you know how this investigation initially came about, and and I recalled you know that schemes did some great reporting in the Kharkiv region. Uh, you know, b- before that, so so th- that's clearly what you know what led to it, um, and 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 then also right in kind of into the fighting in Bakhmut. So it's really a kind of a I, I think in, for one thing that that says a lot about the scope of of, of Redut and you know where the where the fighters with this uh, with Redut were 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 fighting and. Uh, uh, doing other things in Ukraine, uh, so thanks, thanks very much for that uh, explanation of of the investigation. Um, uh, Elizaveta, h- how about you and, and Sistema? Uh, I'd love to hear um, about your reporting and how you were able to get uh, such a wealth of information out of uh, people, I guess, in Russia, um, uh, such as relatives of uh, Redute fighters and recruiters of Redute fighters, as well as documents, social media posts, um, and, and many other sources. Actually, uh, by the time Valorant colleagues came to us with the question, what Redute is, we did know anything, nothing about it. Uh, there were many uh, publications in Russian media uh, which called Redoot uh, and connected Redoot with some company, Redoot Security, which worked in Syria, and there were some businessmen and so on. We checked them all, we googled, we uh, checked their bank accounts, we checked their staff, we checked their managers, and there was nothing that connected that old strange Syrian Redoot with our companies. Uh, and that all looked like a false way to go. And then we thought, these guys that Valerian Kira found in Kharkiv could not be the only guys from Redut. Let's find some other guys and their relatives. Maybe they know something. Actually, we can't find them like by foot in Russia because you know that independent Russian journalists can't walk in Russia now uh, because there is a risk to be arrested. Uh, but we can use social medias and chats and so on. Uh, so we really did found other guys uh, like hoping they know something about Redut. And looking ahead, they did not. The secret of Redoute is that uh, nobody knows what it is, uh, despite the fact that there are thousands and uh, dozens of thousands of people in Russia fighting in Redoute troops. But uh, that was also the reason why these ex-mercenaries and their relatives even talked to us. Uh, 
They also, like us, they were trained to find any sort of information about Redut. There were wives looking for their husbands, and there were parents looking for their sons, children that wanted to get the payments for their fathers, and they did not where they should write and whom they should ask about it. Like us, they were happy to get even a crumb of information about Redut. So that was how we... Uh, connected with them uh, and how we got some examples of contracts and the name of units, which at the end, uh, all of them uh, finally led us to the group. Uh, and by some, by seventh or maybe eighth interview, I don't remember the number for interviews with, with all the relatives, um, my colleague Daniil, uh, who talked uh, much with them, uh, just me, Lisa, I don't understand. All these people uh, are going to war, they are going to die, they are going to die people, and they even don't have some secure contract on their hands. They don't know where they go, with who they go, and what this company is. How, how does it work? And their wives, uh, they all tell them, like, I told you so, never have a deal with the false companies. And they were very, very angry on their husbands who went for the war, like, not knowing where they go. And I said, Daniel, that's why you should always, always listen to your wife. Daniel says, yeah, totally agree. We should always listen to our wife. They are wiser than we are. So uh, all the time, like several nights, we were unsuccessfully looking for this, like, you know, second Prigozhin. Like, if there is a company, if there is a big commercial firm that is paying for all the mercenaries and is had by, I don't know, Putin's barber, uh, and we were looking and looking, and we can't find it, because all the contracts we had, they were like false contracts. There were names of companies that did not exist legally. Uh, there were names of units that didn't uh, exist legally. And then sometimes, uh, reading and listening for tons and tons of Russian war propagandists, chats, telegrams, documents, re-listening Valeria's interviews, we just thought, uh, if we just need to change an angle. We should not think of Redut like a one of brand connected with one person. If it's just thought of Russian Ministry of Defense franchise. And it worked. Uh, so that we started just finding and calling recruiters of maybe all so-called Russian volunteer troops and ask them whether they use so-called Redut system or not. And it worked. It turned out that nearly half of so-called volunteers of Russian invasions, invasion are hired and paid by this reduced system, which is generally managed by military intelligence. Uh, it was quite a special experience, because we decided not to tell the recruiters that they were a journalist until they asked it straightly, and they did not. We just asked general questions like, what do you propose, what is the salary, where do we go, so, so on. Uh, my colleague Daniel was actually brilliant at that. Uh, he's brilliant at the troll because he already had an experience of talking to Wagner recruiters. And he already knew this manner of speaking with them like, bruh, what if I die? Oh, bruh, give me a gun. I can't even make a parody of it by myself. Uh, and I talked to these recruiters by message writing. And there was such a delicate moment when they started to call me or asked to talk by voice. And they could not because I have a woman's voice and it could be suspicious for them. So that moment, I used really delicate answers like, I can't talk to you, bro, because I'm at work. And that was true. I was at work. <laughs> well, that, that's, uh, that's just fascinating. Um, 
uh, Elizabeth. I just uh, I just wanted to kind of come back to a couple things. Uh, I mean, both of you mentioned, uh, you know, Valeria mentioned, you know, reporting in Ukraine uh, and including near Bakhmut. Um, and, you know, so I just wanted to point out kind of the risk uh, involved there. And then also uh, for Sistema, the, the difficulty of reporting on Russia, um, you know, w- w- when you have to do it mostly remotely. Uh, so uh, amazing, really uh, amazing investigation uh, with with some great digging. Um, and I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the idea that you, you know, that um, and I think this is kind of a recurring thing in in Russia where you know the spouses and relatives families of of people who are fighting or going to fight uh you know this goes back to che- the, the wars in Chechnya the the spouses and other relatives are are desperately seeking information about about their loved ones where they are what they're doing uh what's happened to them and so they are sort of you know I think you mentioned they're kind of also investigating, um, and and that's just just amazing. Um, so um, thanks thanks very much for that for that description. And uh, you know I, I like the way you both both of uh, you know the teams I guess or the or the joint team of Sistema and Schemes kind of really the the, the lengths you had to go to to connect the dots. Um, you know to find this redoute. You know the kind of the false the idea that. Well, there must be Putin's barber, you know, Putin's chef, Putin's barber, um, someone who's prominent, or at least one person who's who's heavily involved. Uh, and it turns out uh, it's actually the the guru, GRU. Um, so thanks very much for that. Now, um, my last question for for both of you is is I guess sort of informal, um, and maybe you can take turns again. Tell me uh, about something that that stood out for you, or an aspect of the investigation you're particularly proud of, or what you feel the findings say about this terrible war as it enters the 21st month since Russia's full-scale invasion, uh, and, and almost 10 years since the war broke out in the Donbass. So, so you know, pretty much, if there's something you want to say, um, uh, this would be the time. Uh, so, who wants to go first? Maybe I would start it because I really have some few points on my mind. Uh, so at first, uh, I was super impressed by the absolute chaos in the mind of these mercenaries. They just couldn't explain their thoughts at all. So maybe I'm speaking kind of emotionally because I was really, really very impressed. We talked with them for hours and hours and they just couldn't articulate uh, their thoughts or their motivation, uh, why they came to Ukraine or they just couldn't answer the simple question if they regret or not regret it. Like one of them told, I regret because... uh, I had uh, the command, and I I'm not regretting because I have a command. And I was like, what 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 are you trying to say to me? So I was really impressed, and maybe I'm still impressed about this point. Uh, another point uh, that drove us crazy at first time, and then become like an office joke in the newsroom, uh, is some 
lack of creativity in the Russian military because uh, in uh, while we were doing uh, the investigation, we found out that uh, more than five pairs of people exchanged their uh, nicknames between each other. And uh, it was not like very exciting nicknames. Uh, it was very uh, banal nicknames like Wolf or Baikal, not something unique, you know. Uh, but we found uh, out uh, one kind of trend. Uh, usually the senior soldier took the nickname from the junior one just because he wants so or he like this wolf nickname or something. And because of that, uh, why I'm saying that at first point that uh, drove us crazy, uh, because uh, there were some confusion in the documents because uh, we were investigating, 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 and then we saw that uh, in the documents, nickname was the same, but the signatures were different. So, after we discovered how to deal with it and uh, investigate with these pairs of people, it became like our joke. Uh, and of course, uh, one of my main impressions during the whole period of investigation were the brutal battles near Bakhmut. I'm sure that uh, despite all of the efforts of Ukrainian journalists or even our with Kira's uh, efforts to show the real situation there to our viewers. No one will ever feel through the screen what is happening there. Like, for example, uh, you can watch the video of the fighter jets working, flying over your head a thousand times, but you would never understand the, this instinctive desire to lie down on the ground immediately when it happens to you and you know that you're in a combat zone. And this is a very simple example, but it's important for all of us, the independent journalists, uh, to show what the fighters of the Ukrainian army are going through right now as they work hard to protect their country. Uh, thanks for that, uh, Valeria. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a, a great point or a great uh, description of, you know, I think this war, there's so much said about it around the world, in the media, you know, by officials um, about what, should be done, what can't be done, what can be done. Um, but, you know, me, I'm sitting in Prague, uh, and pretty much anyone else uh, who has not been there, um, you know, cannot cannot understand fully what, you know, what, what the situation is and what, what what's happening. Um, uh, and again, I, you know, I mentioned the risk, but, you know, I uh, just wanted to point out again, you know, amazing uh, work by you guys uh, in, in several different locations, including very, very dangerous ones. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, Elisabetta? Um, I haven't been on the front line. So my challenges are like uh, moral challenges, and uh, they're sort of double challenge. I was born and raised in Moscow and moved to Ukraine about four years ago. So now Ukraine is my country and my home. And all these mercenaries we were investigating about are, are about my age. 
They have read the books I read in my childhood. They listen to music I used to listen to. And they joke the jokes my friends and I used to joke living in Moscow. And at one videos uh, that we saw from their phones, they were filming themselves and we use it in uh, our investigation. Uh, these mercenaries were moving towards Kyiv, uh, listening to the song Zurbagan. Uh, the song is by Vladimir Presnikov, written in the late Soviet Union, such a romantic and nice song. I liked this song before. I listened to it with my friends while having parties in Moscow, like many years ago. And now I watch this video and I see the people who listen to this song uh, that I loved. Uh, and they listen it invading my invading my country, moving towards my city, towards my family, ready to kill my family and me personally. And it made me literally sick. I will never listen to the song again, I think. And I just want to <clears throat> break Lisa here because I also have a moral trauma from a song during this investigation because uh, when we were tracking the path of the occupiers in Kiev region and in the process of watching the video and then video editing it, I listened to one song by the band Lube. I believe they said that it's Putin's uh, favorite uh, yeah, group. Yeah, Putin's yes, favorite group. And so I listened to this Lube song about uh, so-called greatness of the Russian army very, very, very much times. And uh, when the team and I, uh, we, we have this tradition because uh, when our fresh uh, story or movie is aired, uh, we watch it together. And when we watched this movie together on air and it came to this song, I literally started to shake like physically from it. Uh, well. And being serious, not about uh, songs and mm -hmm. so on, uh, I think that for all journalists working in Ukraine and investigating the Russian invasion is a big challenge to dive deep into Russian soldiers' life. You know, I live in Ukraine near a military cemetery, and every afternoon there is a funeral outside my window with a military funeral march and service. Every day I'm passing, I'm passing by the cemetery and see the faces of children who have lost their fathers and uh, faces of military personnel who have lost their, their colleagues. I see the graves of people who died defending my country and me personally from Russian invasion. And then I come back home, turn on the phone and talk to some relative or some Russian redoute mercenary. And this relative, this wife, tells me which Russian hero died heroically. It, it was so Painful and tough, I think. Yeah. The, um, thank you very both for, for for those. I mean, you you've you've given us um, great explanations about the you know the depth and the details of the of this investigation, the reporting, uh, and also um, you know these these personal kind of personal remarks really drive home just the enormity of this of this war um, and the difficulty. I think. Um, of reporting on it um, in the way that, you know, it's really ripped apart so many lives. Um, um, I think I will um, wrap this up here. Again, uh, we've been speaking about um, the uh, investigation by Schemes and Sistema um, uh, that revealed essentially how Russia is using a fake private military company, uh, to recruit um, fighters for its war against Ukraine. 
Um, and uh, so Valeria and Elisabetta, I'd like to, to just thank you very much, uh, both of you, for, for joining me today. Thank you for hosting again. Thank you for your attention. All right, once again, I've been speaking to Valeria Yagoshina of Schemes, the investigative unit of RFERL's Ukrainian service, and Elisabetta Sernachova of Sistema, RFERL's Russian investigative unit. And my name is Steve Gutterman, editor for Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus in the Central Newsroom at RFERL. I'll be back next week for another edition of The Week Ahead in Russia. And please keep an eye out for my newsletter, The Week in Russia, which comes out most Fridays. Thanks for listening.